again. Start at the first verse. It says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. This is the word of our Lord. <clears throat> Many of you know that I drive around a beautiful 1993 Pontiac Bonneville. Um, the car just turned 21 years old this last year. My wife and I bought it right when we got married. That was 11 years ago. And, you know, it's an old car, especially driving New York. The check engine light goes on and off. It's been doing that for years. And so, and when that happens, I don't take it in or check it. I just figure it's an old car and that light is just going to be on and off. And just happened in the last few months that check engine light has been on more than it's been off. Um, but I still didn't do anything. I didn't take it in to get it figured out and checked out. And, um, this last Wednesday, um, not only the yellow check engine light was on, but also the red one turned on. And that one's bad. I always know that that light is, is a bad one. That's the one that you need to get checked out right away. But, you know, I was kind of, I had to get to where I was going, and I, I the car seemed to be running fine, so I got there, and I didn't notice anything wrong. Um, so I got to my destination, came back out, and needed to go home and figure out, I'll get this checked out maybe tomorrow. Um, and I started heading back to my house. And um, you know how sometimes there's there's a traffic jam because people are rubbernecking and you see this car smoking on the side of the road and you wonder, who is it? How could something like that happen? That was me this past week. I was that guy. Um, you know, it, it's something where I think about it. There were all the warning signs were there, but I did absolutely nothing to get it figured out and checked out to see what was going on. See, Matthew chapter 24 gives us the signs of the end times. It tells us that there will be wars and rumors of war. The end is coming soon. But since our Savior knows that we're going to ignore those signs sometimes, He gives us chapter 25 too. And He gives us this parable specifically to tell us, don't ignore them. Be ready. Be prepared. So how do we prepare for the end, for the coming of our Savior? Well, there is a National Geographic a show that's been on for a while. I don't know if any of you have seen it called Doomsday Preppers. Have you seen that show? It's a show where they there are people who are preparing for this catastrophic event, maybe a solar flare, maybe World War III, whatever it might be, and they talk there about how to prepare for the end of the world. They are they're building bunkers. They're going through military training. They're they're stockpiling munition and uh, and and food to get ready for the end of the world. So today we not only have to talk about that the end of the world is coming, we'll be prepared for it, but we have to think about how do we become prepared for the end of the world as well. So the setting that we see in our parable for today is a Jewish wedding from 2,000 years ago. And culturally what happened is this, that the husband and wife would have this ceremony where the two would be joined together, united. But it wouldn't be for another 
few weeks, maybe even months before the husband would make his way to the house of the bride to pick her up. And when he did that, there would be the bridesmaids there, the virgins there, the friends of this bride who would be there with festive lamps to celebrate this, this wonderful day as they made their way back to the husband's home. That's the reason why they had these lamps. Now in this parable, there are ten of these virgins, ten of these bridesmaids. And it, there was a problem. The, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. They didn't know where he was. He was delayed, our lesson says. And what we see is there are foolish bridesmaids and there are wise ones. And, and the difference is not the fact that they were sleeping. They were all sleeping. They all fell asleep. The difference was the amount of oil that they brought with them. The difference was their preparation. And something to note when we think about this, this parable, what, what does it mean? What does this sleeping mean? Don't think of that as being a sinful thing of what they did since the wise and the foolish did that. You see, in, in our life too, we have in this world believers and unbelievers, foolish and the wise. Right? We're all waiting for our Savior to come back. And to be prepared for the end of the world does not mean that you pray 24 hours a day or go to church 24 hours a day, read God's Word 24 hours a day. We simply cannot do that. We have to sleep. We have to eat. We have to take care of our family. We have to work. We have to do these things. But there is a way that we can sleep, or that is live life, in a prepared way and in an unprepared way. And that's what this lesson teaches us about. Now, this lesson is not talking about people who does not, do not know anything about the Savior coming back. It's obvious that both the wise and the foolish were waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. So we're not talking here about the atheist. We're not talking here about the person who never knew about Jesus, who never knew anything about the Bible. We are talking about people who do know, but simply were not prepared. So this is talking about the person who drops their kids off at confirmation class in Sunday school, but doesn't grow in God's word themselves. This is talking about the person who knows that they should be doing home devotions, but just never gets around to it. This is talking about the person who, who sees their spouse going to church every Sunday, but, but never goes. This is talking about the person who goes to church, but, but maybe goes through the motions and has to go because of maybe guilt, because they're wife or a friend wants them to go. This is talking about the person who used to have a good, solid spiritual life, maybe through going to church often and, and reading the Bible and being in devotions and Bible studies, but because of the busyness of life, career, it just didn't happen anymore and eventually ran out of order. It, it, it reminds me, of, um, for me, and my wife, two years ago, we decided it was time for us to get into shape. So what do you do when you, you need to get into physical shape? Well, you get a membership at the YMCA, and that's what we did. We started paying $60 a month to go to the YMCA. We, we found out very soon that just because you pay $60 a month to go to the YMCA does not necessarily mean that you're getting into shape. Okay? You actually have to go. You actually have to work. You actually have to burn calories. And same thing for us too, just because you might have your membership card here at this church, just because you might come from a, a family of good, solid Christians, doesn't necessarily mean that you are prepared. See, 
for you and me, you can probably think of people, family members or friends, who when you consider their actions and their confession, it may not seem that they are prepared. Even though we want that. We want that so badly that they are prepared for the end. You know, we can't look at someone's faith. We can't look at the, the level of oil that the person has with them and whether or not they are prepared. All we can look at is their actions and their confession. And when we do that, we, it makes us wonder, are they really prepared or not? Are we prepared? See, what we have in our, our lesson today is probably one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture. we have a picture of Jesus slamming the door of heaven. And these five foolish virgins are, are knocking on the door, pleading to come in. And when Jesus opens the door, He doesn't let them in. But He says to them, in such a harsh way, I never knew you. It says in our lesson that Jesus is going to come back at, at midnight, right? That is, at a time when, when we are not expecting Him. It says in our lesson that He is going to be delayed. And it makes us wonder why. Well, why is He not here yet? Why is He being delayed? Is He trying to surprise us and trying to catch us unprepared? Well, no. The Apostle Paul says that God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All people. So why is He taking so long to come back? See, our God does not use time in order to surprise us and to try to catch us unprepared. He uses it for the opposite reason. For our good. There's a, a scripture lesson that we look at every Christmas season. It comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 4. And it says, When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, Think about those words. When the time had fully come, that is from the very first promise of a Savior in, in Genesis chapter 3. The time had not fully come yet for thousands of years. But on Christmas Day, the time had fully come. It was the right time at the right place under the right circumstances that our Savior could come to save as many people as possible. And when our Savior came into this world, He didn't go directly to the cross. No, He waited. He delayed. Why? Because He wanted to live a perfect substitutionary life for you. He wanted to go through all the same temptations and experience the exact same weaknesses that you have gone through. So that you could find your victory not in yourself, but in Him who lived it for you a full life. And even when Jesus told the people that He was the Savior of the world and they tried to throw Him off of a cliff, He said, no, 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 it's, it's not my time yet. And He walked away. And even when Jesus was on the cross, it wasn't the soldiers who decided when it was time for Jesus to go. It was Jesus Himself who waited and waited until every last one of your sins were paid for. He allowed God to punish Him with the full wrath that each and every one of us deserve for what we have done so that you could be sure that your sins are forgiven. And He waited to the point when He could finally shout out from the cross to give you assurance that you are prepared for the end of the world when He said, it is finished. Time has always been used for our good. 
And after the resurrection, think about what happened. Those disciples went to all parts of the world and thank God it happened at that time because there was peace in the Roman Empire. There were good roads so that that gospel could be spread like wildfire. And it was. We are just as impatient, I know, as those Old Testament believers were in waiting for the Savior to come. But he has a reason for it. And his purpose in delaying was not just for all of mankind, but it was for you too. If you ask, why didn't the end of the world come yet? I'd say, well, he was waiting for you. He was waiting for you to be born. He was waiting for you to be baptized. And maybe some of you can remember that time in your life when, when maybe you didn't have faith, maybe you lost your faith that moment. Well, our Savior was waiting for you to repent. He was waiting for someone to come to you with God's Word. To prepare you. And to give you that extra supply of oil. He was waiting for that time when your friend, your family member, could believe. Our God has always used time for our good. That's, that's why He's here. Today, we have two motivations for preparing ourselves and thinking about how we can help prepare others for the end of the world. And they're two opposite, but, but equally motivating ways that we can think about how we can be prepared. And the first one I already talked about that scary verse that we see here of Jesus shutting the door and saying, I never knew you. That's one thing to get us thinking about, okay, I, I need to be prepared for the end. But there's one, motiva one other motivation that we see here too. And that's this picture, this vision of the wedding feast. It's a beautiful picture. You see, here on earth, we know what we want to do in order to have fun. All of you do. And you have different ways of doing it. Maybe you want to go to parties. Maybe you want to spend time with friends, with family. Maybe you want to play video games. Whatever it might be, we all have our idea of what, what fun might be. But this picture of the wedding feast that's waiting for us, that our Savior has been preparing for us since the time of Adam and Eve, does not compare with any type of joy we could possibly comprehend. Wedding feast of the Lamb. And we stand right now in this time just before. And maybe some of you can remember what that time was like just before you got married. The days and weeks leading up to it. There was maybe some nervousness, some excitement. But, but there was an overall picture of this is a, a major change in my life. Exciting, major difference in my life about to happen. And that's where we are right now. And that's something to get us thinking about how we can be prepared. So this is what I want you to think about for today as you go home, um, as you jump into one of the uh, Bible studies after church today, is how can we be more prepared for the end? How can we stay away from things that, that, that suck away, that... that supply of oil that we have? And how can we continue to think about preparing others for the end? See, in our, in our lesson, verse 8 and 9, it says this. When the bridegroom arrives, it says, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. See, it's a reminder that we cannot believe on behalf of someone else. 
Do not believe on behalf of our spouse or on behalf of our children. Ezekiel says the soul who sins is the one who will die. Faith is a very individual thing. So how do we prepare both for ourselves and for others? We're not going to build a bunker. We're not going to store up ammunition or food. We're going to run to the word and sacraments that is given to us. So may God help us as we continue to be filled up with the supply of oil until that day when we're finally called home to the glory of heaven. Amen.